Today's episode of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast is brought to you by Hostfully, the market leader in digital guidebooks for short-term rental hosts. With Hostfully, you can create a beautiful online guidebook that you can send to your guests so they have a better experience and you get fewer questions. Sign up now at hostfully.com to get two months for free by using code PAD. That's P-A-D. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your pad. Get paid for your Welcome to episode number 332 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I have a guest from Puerto Rico, one of my favorite destination, travel destinations in the world. So I'm super excited to welcome to the show Juan Carlos Morales, the CEO and founder of uh, Capital Jet Set. Juan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jasper, for having me here. Uh, it is an honor to be here with you. And hopefully we can, uh, you know, add some value to your listeners uh, and inspire them to get out there and uh, take some calculated risks and enjoy uh, the lifestyle that, you know, short-term rentals and and, uh, real estate can provide, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm excited to get into it. Um, We were talking a little bit before we started recording. Uh, you, uh, You have about 30 units. Some you own, some you lease, some you manage in uh, out of uh, Puerto Rico. I think we connected through an email that we send out, right? You're you're on our That's email list, and I think it was Eric's email where he was talking about the idea of like creating long term wealth through using our skill set that we have as uh, as short term rental uh, entrepreneurs to to purchase and specifically own uh, short term rentals. Um, especially now that you know we're in a super high inflationary uh, environment, so we need to protect our our cash and invest in hard assets. So I'm excited to to dive into this. Uh, give us a give us a quick introduction of your of your company and how long you've been doing this. Sure. So my name is Juan Carlos Morales. Uh, I am from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I am a business owner for the last 20 years, uh, maybe 23. I'm actually 35 years old. So I've been in business since I was, you know, a kid, and I've developed over three successful uh, businesses. Some of them I still own. And about five years ago, I guess that I stumbled upon, uh, you know, Airbnb by mistake, which was I was uh, leasing this two-bedroom apartment in Isla Verde that had a fantastic ocean view, which now I call the million-dollar ocean view, and my roommate moved out and you know our rent was i think it was $900 a month and even though i was making some money on my business my other business i was just very practical i've always been very practical and i just didn't want to pay his side of the of the rent especially since i didn't need the two bedrooms so he told me maybe you should try airbnb and then i ended up looking at it i posted that bedroom for i think it was $50 a night Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to book it. And I was like, wow, how is this possible? This is a fantastic place. So I said, oh, let me just post the entire place for $75 just to see if somebody wants it, you know? And this was maybe like five years ago. And this is a two bedroom, one bath. 
amazing ocean view pool. I post the place and within seconds, I start getting bookings left and right. I start increasing my price as my bookings start coming in. And I think by the end of the night, I almost had like three months booked on this place. (laughs) And I had no idea where I was going to live. But I realized that, you know, if the year is paid for with the bookings, I can probably figure it out. So I guess this is where it all started, you know, and I say by mistake because I obviously there was no plan. And I think there's a lesson learned to be, there's a lesson there to be learned, which is, I feel like some people, they, they want to, um, you know, do a perfect business plan. They want to like run it by a bunch of people just to see what they think. And I, I just think the key there was just to take some action, you know, just to throw something out there, just to see what happened. I think there's a lesson there. Sometimes if you think too much, uh, you get in your head and you don't do anything, you know, Mm. so that, that kind of gave me some encouragement. And then, um, I actually had a, uh, which I still do a kite surfing school, which, uh, around that time was hit hard by the hurricane Maria. So we went from, you know, making some decent money to basically going bankrupt after the hurricane. And then I watched a video from our friend, Robert Kiyosaki that says, savers are losers. I had about a hundred thousand dollars of cash in the bank sitting. And then I realized, man, if I have one Airbnb, that's making me about $300 a month. What if I have a second one? You know, what if I have a third one? And instead of actually like fearing what could happen after the hurricane, I think uh, I went and got like maybe three to five more properties. I can't remember exactly. And then all of a sudden start making real money after that. And then I just started investing like crazy into the business and doing a bunch of very creative ways of, of how to uh, get more units. So I would say that's a quick background of uh, you know my start on this. Awesome, man. I, I love how people always accidentally run into Airbnb. You know, it's so it's so funny. Like there's I don't know anybody who uh who really like had no experience in Airbnb and just looked at it and was like, hey, I'm gonna build a business on you know in in on Airbnb. Everyone, everyone like yourself just kind of stumbles into it, including myself, which is just really cool to see. You know, that's what I love about Airbnb. It's like it really empowers people to, you know, to start their own business, even if you're starting with one room or one, you know, just one unit. Like you said, do you still rent out that first unit where you got started? Yes, I do. Yep. How much are you charging now per night? For the New Year's, it's going to be $597 for that last week, a night. Because it's funny because you, you said you started with 75 bucks, and I, I bet that price has gone up quite a bit. Yeah, the, the rack rate is 300 a night now. 300 a night, right? Yeah. Crazy. yeah. And you were I have renting- no idea what I was doing. Yeah, and you were renting it for nine hundred bucks a month. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's that's where I learned uh, the power of the thirty percent. So uh, the way I evaluate Airbnbs now is I, I make sure that my daily cost on that unit is not more than thirty percent of what I think I can rent it per night. So as an example, and this is a good for me at least. I'm not saying for other people. If I think that same unit I can make a hundred bucks a night. On, on the high season, then I like to get, my cost should be around $30 a night. And that includes rent, utilities, and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, obviously, with time, you know, we get a little more aggressive, 
but I, I'm very conservative. I, I know some people that will push that to 50%, but uh, I believe this is what has gotten me through. You know, we've had uh, the hurricane hit us really bad. And that was like two months of no short-term rentals. We had daily earthquakes for like two months. That was a really big deal in January of, of last year. Then we got hit by pandemic right away. So I think that 30% cost rule is, is something to keep in mind. And then, yeah, I found yeah. that by mistake too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good guideline. Um, one thing I really want to talk to you about is how you run your business, right? Because you got 30 units. So you're, you know, you're, you're actually, you know, potentially like really good fit for, for our mastermind, right? We're seeing a lot of yep. uh, members of our mastermind that are kind of at that level. But what we notice, what's the, the major difference between people like yourself that we talk to and people in our mastermind versus like the students that we're getting through our other programs, such as uh, Legends X, is being a business owner versus being a business manager. Now, you mentioned you have uh, 25 or 20 years of experience as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. So I think that's really, really important to talk about. Can you explain what is the difference between a, a business owner and a manager? And why do you want to be a business owner? So I think you just have to choose where you feel like you add the most value to your company. I think some people, they're very passionate about you know, talking to customers, fixing problems, and managing people. Uh, and, and that's where they, where they feel like they're the happiest. And that's actually their, their skill set. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm that guy, you know, I could do that. The thing is, over time, I've already established other businesses. And I have, you know, been in situations where I find myself not being able to, to like, try new things, because I'm, I'm like, you know, responding to messages, or making a sales call or something like that. And I just feel like, you know, I, I have my brain thinks so strong, like an entrepreneur that I see entrepreneurship almost like a game. I almost look at it as a game of chess. You know, for me, I think of the game and obviously like there's different steps to, to each game. And the first step is the basic one, which is like, how am I going to eat? You know? So I don't think that thinking as a business owner is step one. I think you have to start almost like as a manager, but you also, what I've learned over time is in order for you to set yourself up to become a business owner. And I think the difference is a business owner is someone that can work on the business if they want, but if they're not there, it basically makes not, not much of a difference to the daily operations. A manager is somebody that if they leave, there's going to be a problem most likely because some people, it would be like, I don't know, like an NBA team going to a game and not having their coach. You know, those guys, they just wouldn't know what, what place to run and they just wouldn't know who the leader is. Mm -hmm. So for me, the biggest breakthrough was I read a, uh, the four-hour work week maybe like eight years ago. And I was, my other business is a kite surfing school and we were doing very well, but, you know, it's very intense during the high season and I was kind of burning out, you know. And I was like, man, I, I need some help, but I just don't trust anyone. Like, who's going to do this for me? Nobody does it better than me. I'm the best. You know, that's what everybody thinks. And what are my customers going to feel? And then we start talking to ourselves, you know, about, we talk ourselves out of it. And then I also thought, well, how much would it cost me to put somebody in my, in my shoes? And then you have that moment 
where you realize, oh, I'm actually going to make less money when I put a really good manager to run my business. And the moment you, you feel you realize that, it's so scary. You think of like, let's say the position is, you know, $80,000, $100,000. You think of like, man, that's money that I could be taking home myself. And the moment you think that is the very moment that you have to say, no, when I put that guy or that girl there, now I'm going to have so much time that I should be able to go get more business to replace that income. And they should also add so much more value that all of a sudden, you know, I can offer work for someone, which is great for the, for the community. And then also I have more time to either work on the business if I want or offer a uh, value to others and, and help more people because usually through business, you're helping people. So the moment you feel that, you say, no, I will have more time. I can go get more business. It's okay. You know? So yeah. I think it's a shift in mindset. It's all mindset. Like when the moment you don't let that like thought control you, that's, that's where you jump the bridge. Yeah. Super, super spot on, man. Um, so right now you have, uh, you have 13 employees. You told me, can you walk us through what your team looks like? Sure. So we created like an organizational chart. We were kind of a little bit disorganized, a tiny bit. Then I read the, the E-Myth book, uh, which talks about, you know, the entrepreneur myth, uh, essentially what we just talked about and just basically creating a structure and figuring out which roles need to be filled in order for the, for the company to work. And then sometimes you have to put your name in those roles at first. But then eventually, as you want to remove yourself from those roles, then you start putting people. So our structure starts with a, basically a, a general manager, which some people call a COO. And then from there, we have an assistant of the general manager, which is someone that fills the role of helping with whatever the general manager, uh, that's very high level stuff that they can't do. And then that supervisor also does some like, hiring she does a lot of a little bit of human resources and a lot of training for cleaners she used to be a cleaner actually which i'm super proud of this this lady is awesome uh her name is lisbeth she used to actually clean places and i told her one day you're going to be working with me in administration and, and i you know we kept that promise and now she just trains cleaners and then to the side we have a host manager a host manager is somebody that's just in charge of like you know, all the incoming customer service uh, inquiries, either via inbox, email, or calls. And then, uh, and then we have, under the supervisor, we have housekeeping supervisors that report to her. And those house- housekeeping supervisors, ha- they supervise cleaners that are underneath. And they also work with the handyman that we have. So we try to have like some sort of check and balances between positions, we try not to overlap, even though it, it does happen a little bit. So I wouldn't say we're we're perfect, but I feel like we have really great people. So wherever we're kind of in a gap, they can kind of uh, fill the hole. But we're learning and we're growing. So I would say that's our structure. The the cleaners that you work with are those in house? Do they only work for you? Yes. yes. I used to. I used to uh, when I started. I used to contract a lady. I would pay her about sixty dollars a unit. I have about 14 units in the same building. 
So some days she was taking home like $400 a day, you know, and she was working like four hours for me. So it's not that she didn't earn the money. It just like, you know, there was other things behind it that, that took me to, to do an hourly. You know, there's just more involved when you have a business, you know, it's not just cleaning the apartment. Sometimes it's opening the door for a contractor. Some, some, sometimes it's doing a, a refresh of a unit. There's just more involved. So I just rather have good, good paid hourly employees and just give them some stability. And then uh, you take advantage of the, the scale the business. Mm, yeah, sure. Due to COVID, it's now more important than ever that your guests actually read your house rules and check-in instructions. And there's no better way to deliver that information than by using an online hostfully guidebook. You can build your guidebook in just a few hours and simply include a link to your guidebook in your welcome email. Your guests can access it on desktop, on mobile, and they can even print it out. Now, as a result, you look super professional. Your guests have a better experience as they don't have to read through endless paragraphs of text. Instead, they can go through a nice looking guidebook with lots of visuals. That means fewer questions for you, more time for you to focus on other areas of your hosting business. Sign up now at hostfully.com and use code PAD to get your first two months for free. That's hostfully.com, H-O-S-T-F-U-L-L-Y.com, code PAD, which is P-A-D. Let's get a little bit into your uh, your business model. Uh, you mentioned you you started out with a with a rental arbitrage unit, right? And currently you have a, kind of a hybrid system, right? Where it's like you own some units, you manage some units, and, sh- and you do some rental arbitrage. Can you walk us through that process of when you started with your first unit? How did it evolve to be like a like a hybrid of those three models? Yeah, sure. So I would say we did arbitrage, I would say for the basically almost all the time until uh, we were at maybe unit number 20 plus, where actually my parents uh, have a house with a pool and they wanted to, I, I told them, hey, we should put this on Airbnb. And they saw what we were doing and they're like, okay, let's do it. So we started doing it with them and it worked. And then we had we had a couple that owns uh, four units reach out to us and they didn't want to do rental. So we were very open to them. Hey, we can, we can do a rental arbitrage, which we, you know, we didn't say rental arbitrage, but we would just say, Hey, we could just, you know, just lease the unit from you for a fixed monthly rate. We take the risk or we could just charge you a percentage uh, of the business. These were a little bit more sophisticated investors. So they were looking for the upside. They were not necessarily looking for anything stable. So I would say that the reason why I went into the arbitrage model, it's because I really wanted to be able to hire managers. So I had to make profit. I had to make juicy profits. If I would have gone for the management approach, I would have to have, you know, hundreds of properties in order to make the same money I'm making right now. And I would have to hire a lot more than 13 employees. So just by, by the nature of the margin, of what we can produce, then it just makes more sense for us to go heavy on arbitrage first so we can hire people. So we can have a manager that's very well paid, uh, supervisors that are very, everybody's very well paid and competitive versus if I had managed properties, I would just not be able to. And then, so that's why we have, I would say 
90, 85% of the units are arbitrage. We own about, you know, five to 8% of our units. The other 10% is, is uh, property managed. And I think that's a good mix. Uh, I don't get super excited about managed properties because I, I can take a little bit more risk. But I will say if the, if the property, uh, the lease is very high, we're lo- talking about leases on, you know, five, 10,000, 15,000 a month then I would rather just manage them because mm-hmm. at, at that rate, I would rather do the stretch and try to buy that property. I would try not to like pay those high rents. Just it doesn't feel right to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then if there, if something happens when, and you're not getting a lot of bookings for whatever reason, then you're kind of stuck with those leases. Right. But I understand why you initially went for the rental arbitrage because it seemed like there was just a, such a big difference between the, the monthly rent and what you and the potential in Airbnb, right? In a market like yours, because we're we're not seeing those big discrepancies uh, anymore in 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 most markets. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that there's there's other reasons of why I have really good margins. I find my properties mostly off market, or if they go on on mm. the classifieds, I snag them like on day one, and and. Usually the properties that I've gone to uh, are properties that need some investment. So there's actually a very good exchange for the owner. So my my rental arbitrage model sometimes requires some some work on the property. Sometimes I have to do tiling and and uh, bathrooms and sometimes windows, air conditioners. So some I found properties that are have been sitting for months or years that the owner can't rent because it's not in living condition, but they don't either, they either don't have the money or they don't have the energy or the resources to do the work. So I come in and this is where I started investing my 100K that I mentioned originally. I came in and I actually targeted those first because it was kind of hard for the owners to say no to that. You know, it was say, hey, your property has been sitting for you for two years. It costs you like $400 a month in costs between HOA, taxes and all these things. You need about seven to ten thousand dollars of investment. How about I do that, and in exchange, I can I can rent it from you for market rent. And they could say just you just could say no to that, you know, essentially. And then for me to actually make that initial investment back, then I usually ask for a period where I have a rent abatement or free rent. I prefer abatement; sounds better. But essentially, it's just for me to be able to recuperate. And I just tell them upfront, listen, this is how it makes sense to me. And nobody else has offered this this to them, so I went that route, and and it just worked really well. You know, yeah. um, over time, I would say that some opportunities uh, were different, and we just leveraged our experience and our track record, and sometimes just telling people, hey, you know, we don't think you should trust us, but you should uh, maybe call all the other owners that we work with and just ask them how they feel about us. So I think uh, a couple of lessons here to be learned is don't be afraid to invest your money, okay? Uh, don't be afraid to propose a deal that is beneficial for both sides, you know? Don't be afraid to maybe be a little bit of a salesperson without coming on too pushy and also uh, be creative. All deals are not created equal. All people are not the same. People are different mm-hmm. and they also don't trust you. I think this is a big deal. Like, why should they trust you? You're coming out of the blue. They don't know who you are. 
you want to take their property to put in Airbnb. So you kind of have to understand that trust is built over time. So sometimes when we feel like we just feel that they're not so excited, we say, listen, this is a process. Okay. We're not expecting you to be super excited about this today or feel super comfortable, but let's talk three or four times. Let me give you some referrals. Let me walk you through some of my properties. You know, let me talk to you more. I feel like over time, this is how people trust you. And once they trust you, they just, they're so happy with you that mm-hmm. they just don't want to deal with anybody else. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great process. Let's dive into the ownership side now, because I, I know you own a number of units and, uh, you know, this is something that Eric and I have talked about quite a lot on, on the podcast is, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a couple of things. Number one, we're seeing inflation kind of you know, getting out of control, but we're also seeing that it's hard to it's hard to make a good ROI on long-term rentals with real estate when inflation is this high, right? So we really see like the the opportunity in in, in short-term rentals where you can purchase a, an Airbnb or you know a number of Airbnbs and you know create use our skill set. That use everything that we learned through like rental arbitrage and management to really uh, to really create unique experiences that people are willing to pay more for, and thereby you know being able to offer like a higher return to our investors. So, I would love to understand um, why did you start buying, and what was your how what was your process like? How is it financed? Sure. So I think that I I follow a few people that are like very hardcore arbitrage. They think this is the best model. There's no need to ever buy anything and just, you know, arbitrage. Uh, for a little while, I believed that because I was making money. But then as you get a little bit older, you actually get more of a comprehensive view of, of everything. Uh, I think when it, when it actually started, there was a couple of times where, where leases were coming up for renewal. And as you build a team, as a business owner, you feel some responsibility of your team, right? This is how I am today. I feel like, listen, like I have a good life, but you know, like uh, I just really care about my people. I don't want to screw them and not necessarily protect the business, right? And also what is the value of the business? So for me, what's the value of my business is I was going to sell it today, tomorrow. Uh, the value of my business is essentially the paper that I hold. So in real estate, our inventory is contracts, essentially, and paperwork. So, you know, if you have year, a one-year lease and you make whatever, a million dollars, then how do I know that I can buy your business if a, a year from now uh, the lease is up? And I've seen a lot of businesses like restaurants and those kind of things that have to relocate or, or they go out of business because the, the lease comes up and the, the owner knows that you're making money and they triple your rent because they can. There's no rent control here. So that was one. I think it was through the pain of, of losing a couple of, of properties. It was also by me, I just bought a property for myself and I saw the value of it increasing. So I, I noticed I could almost make twice. I could make money on, on the daily recurring revenue, but I was also increasing my, my net worth. And I think people don't realize like banks don't care how much money you make. They also care about your assets. You know, like if you want to go buy stuff like a car or a property or a house, 
you know, you can be making a hundred thousand dollars, but like, what else do you have? You know, how do you let them know that you're smart with your money? So that's where I started realizing maybe I have to start buying some properties. And I, I have, I have something that other people don't have is I'm an expert in my, in my area. I know what's a good price and what's another good price. I have great relationships. I'm creative. I have some cash too. And I can find ways of, of acquiring some properties because I have data. I know exactly which of all my close to 30 properties are the 20% that make me 80% of the revenue. So when they come up as an option to buy it, I have to buy them. There's no option. You know, if you were making $50,000 a year on one property and it costs you, you know, two, $300,000 or $400,000 to buy, you got to make a decision. Are you going to let go of that 50K a year or are you going to figure it out? You know, so I think that over time, I've just realized that you have to own property. It has increased my net worth by almost triple. So once you see that, it's really like uh, encouraging. And it also gives me a lot more control and more stability for my business. I feel like it looks a lot stronger. I do see how like banks take me a lot more seriously. Uh, when you own stuff, it's there's something about it that just people like see you differently and they take you seriously. And you have a little bit more power over mm. things. So I think that the opportunity is to be creative. You know, don't force anything on anyone. I think some people get very frustrated that, you know, they want to buy something, but they can't buy it or they don't have the money. Well, maybe do some arbitrage, maybe do some management, you know, just, just get the ball rolling, interact with people like us, and then get some uh, encouragement and just know that this is a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. but it's uh well worth it so, mm. yeah yeah 100 how did you because this is a question that comes up a lot from uh from listeners from our students it's like um how do you once you have the a couple of properties like like you said like everyone started taking it serious investors banks all of that the first one is uh is is, is oftentimes the the hardest to get financing for so how did you uh how did you do that when your first one uh, well, my, my first one was on arbitrage, but I would say for, oh, you mean for the ones that I purchased? I actually was already leasing this property from the owner. I created a very good relationship with him going to lunch, you know, every two weeks, every month, talking, you know, just like as a friend, no interest. But then at some point he came up to me and says like, I'm going to sell this place, you know, and I'm I'm just giving you the option to to buy it from me. So then I, uh, I had uh, learned a little bit about owner financing on how to do that. And then I, uh, you know, we came up with a price. He wanted $200,000 for this property. I got an appraisal on it. It appraised 165. So I said, listen, like I, I can't give you 200 because, you know, it's just, I can't, I would be losing $35,000 on day one. Let's just say that the appraiser made a mistake of like, you know, $10,000. So I'll pay you $10,000 more. So we agreed on 175. And then I just said, do you need all the money right now? I just asked that question. He said, no, I actually just need 100,000 right now. And I was like, oh, so why don't I just pay you what you need right now? And then I'll just pay you similar to what I was paying you every month. So that way you can take care of your immediate need for the cash, but you still make some money every month. And he was like, okay, let's do that. So obviously I think that was like a, 
you know, it took me a while to build that relationship. And then we just had to take it there. One big, big thing that I would recommend, I made a couple of mistakes, is do not suggest a price to owners. Let them say their price first. And then like maybe use a third party to to actually uh, justify your offer. Because some people get uh, offended, you know, because you don't know where they're at. You know, that $200,000, he could have been at like $300,000, you know? So I just say, you got to be careful. I I just let him say how much he wanted. That took three meetings for him to give up his price. But then eventually we we found it. And and then after that, I I bought another property the same way. I just told the owner, listen, I have already done this before. If you want, here's the phone number of the owner I've done it with. You can ask him if we pay on time, if it was anything, you know, shady or weird. And I think she just trusted me too, because, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're doing selling, you got to figure out a way to educate the person about the process. And sometimes you got to use third parties. You know, all this information can't come just from you because, uh, you know, they're always going to be a little apprehensive, I would Mm say. I've used uh, cash and owner financing for my first two properties. I also took on, on a private lender that loaned me like, $70,000 $70,000 the first time I paid it back in three months. So then that actually allowed me to borrow a hundred thousand dollars from the same person, which I'm going to pay in the next little bit here. And then the person's already told me like, I don't want the money back. Just keep it in play. I want to keep making money with you. So yeah, that's how I've done it so far. And now, now what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to actually do more of the same. I was talking today to a hard money lender that, that loves the business model, what, what I'm doing. And he wants to loan me money on, on some opportunities that are coming about. And then we have some big plans too with other stuff that we can get into later on. But I would say, yeah, you got to own some stuff for sure. Yeah, definitely. agreed. Awesome. Yeah, that's super helpful. Owner financing is definitely uh, one of the options. You know, when you're first buying a property, if you do not have uh, investors or good relationship, uh, good relationships there with banks or anything, we see that uh, we see that happen quite a bit. It's a really good, really good strategy. And like you said, like you have to be a bit creative and just uh, just re- recognize, like, hey, if somebody wants to sell their property, like, what's a solution that works for for both people and not get too stuck in sort of the traditional ways of, uh, of purchasing property. So I think that's, uh, that's awesome, man. We're uh, about to wrap up the podcast here, but uh, I would love to ask you two more things. Number one is, do you still have the kitesurfing school? I do, yes. I love kiteboarding and water sports so much that I find myself just not being able to, to get rid of it. Uh, we just break even on it, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and I love helping people. And that's why I just got into social media too. I want to help people too, you know? So yeah, I still have it. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm going to have to visit you and uh, we'll have to do some kite surfing together because uh, yeah, I'm a big kite surfing uh, enthusiast. Um, so that was my, that was my first question. And then um, my second question is what, what's the, what does the future look like for you? Are you, are you what's your goal with your business? Sure. So my goal with, with my business is I think real estate can be a noble business. You know, I think you can you can create wealth for yourself and for your family. But I have also seen how you can help people. You can help people that have their properties distressed. You can help people that, you know, that need their properties to, to send them a check every month and how that can like bring them peace of mind. 
Uh, you can give jobs to people. You can uh, move the economy. You know, it's just such a great business. You know, it's very noble. People think of like real estate investors are like bad people that take advantage of other people. I've actually seen quite the opposite. I've seen like how we help people every day. Uh, yeah, we do make money, but yeah, we also have to eat and we take risk, right? So the future for us is just, you know, to to grow it and help people. We're trying to actually, our next step will be to buy an entire building and either go full short term or like a combination. So we've been actually making some offers on some properties that fit our criteria. And then uh, we're also developing a small boutique hotel in the same area because there's great tax incentives in Puerto Rico for building hotel rooms. So we're looking to leverage our expertise in you know, uh, rental arbitrage. I studied hotel administration. So I think that would be a good transition into ownership and offering people more, more service than you normally would in an Airbnb. And then we're trying to buy a, uh, a small hotel that just needs to be updated and just rebranded. So we're, we're uh, you know, trying to keep our core business, but also trying to go for like something that's a little bit more scalable so that we can continue growing. And we're super excited about it. So Awesome. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge. Uh, before we wrap up, let people know where they can find you. You know, there might be people listening who are maybe interested in investing with you or somebody may own own a unit in Puerto Rico or just people that might want to travel there and save one of your units. Sure. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about my company, it's uh, capitaljetset.com. I am actually in Instagram at, at realonecarlosmorales or on Facebook, onecarlosmorales. And I would say those are the best places to find me. I'm also on YouTube, trying to build the social media there uh, under Juan Carlos Morales as well. And that's where you can find me. I just want to say again, you guys are killing it. Thank you so much for having me here. I would love to meet Eric later on. Maybe we should join, uh, you know, uh, at the mastermind. I think this is what it's all about. Like just having people that are like trying to, you know, get to the next level and exchange ideas and just those connections are everything. So I would say I commend you guys for doing all the work you guys are doing and for giving me some time here to uh, share a little bit of what I know. Thank you very yeah. much. Awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, well, I'll let you know when I'm in Puerto Rico, we'll, we'll jump on the kite board and uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. All right, man. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Carlos. Uh, and uh, thanks to the listeners. Of course, on Friday, we'll be back, myself and Eric, with another podcast. So we'll see you then. Get paid for your pet. 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 If you have over 30 units, you have an annual revenue of over $2 million, or you operate boutique hotels, then the STR Legend Mastermind is for you. You are not alone. We have a group of over 30 high-level entrepreneurs in our mastermind, and we get together on a weekly basis to discuss our biggest challenges and to learn and to grow together. Go to strlegends.com to find out more information. 
and apply for the Legends Mastermind if you think you are a good fit.